everyone, and welcome to the Whovian Review. I'm Michael. I'm Shelby. I'm Alan is present? I forgot the order. Can we start over? Yeah, what is it? Is, do I want a third or fourth? I don't remember for some reason. I'm leaving this. I'm always last. <laughs> that was Carl. Hello, last. Michael. I don't condone this type of behavior. Oh. So today we are going to be discussing the end of time part two. Okay, I guess we're not cutting that out. Cool. I already told you this. It's, yeah. Oh man, oh man, we're in the thick of it. Just like this episode, man, lots going on. We're really like diving in. And... So I gotta start by saying that that starting scene. What what's up with that 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 ledge? They're like walking on that walkway or whatever. That catwalk. The catwalk. That is, that the is, catwalk. <laughs> That's so very dangerous. I mean, that's very popular in sci-fi. Like, look at literally anything sci-fi. They just have that one, like, room that's full of, like, just obscene ledges. I mean... Hey, they have had hundreds and hundreds of years of walking. They can walk in a straight line, on a dime, if they need to. They can turn around. They can hop. I mean, look at their fashion sense. You're really surprised their architectural sense is that poor. That's a great point. <laughs> or or that grand would be a better way to put it. <laughs> Honestly, there was so much stuff going on to the end of this episode, I kind of forgot what happened towards the beginning. Well, basically, you've got uh, Rassilon, the president of Gallifrey, wanting to uh, figure out how he can save all of the Time Lords. And mm. Seems like a noble cause. Except for he wants to save them, but, like, take them from their bodies so they can ascend to spiritual, like consciousness and also end time for everybody like that just doesn't those two concepts don't really mesh do they it does sound a lot like making people you know uh drink the kool-aid so yeah <laughs> well sounds an awful lot like dying <laughs> it seems like they've gone absolutely nuts due to this time war and i think that was the point that the doctor is trying to make throughout this episode was that the time lords were not in their right mind by the end of it yeah, and we actually hear the Doctor references like the Doctor contemporary to these other Time Lords, where they're like, yeah, he, the Doctor's vanished, he's got the moment, he's totally going to use it to destroy us all. <laughs> exactly. And uh, we've got quite... Um, we, we actually also started off with the Master still duplicated all over the Earth, and of course... Yeah, much more than a duplicate or a triplicate, I, you know... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Quadruple Some six billion plus <laughs> masters. Plicant. Yeah, just add plicant on it. That's going to work out. But how would he reproduce, though? That's my question. Would he just have sex with himself? Well, I mean, I think he'd that, use that grand machine and find other beings. Yeah, I mean, I think that he did reproduce into all of the humans on the planet. <laughs> Yeah. I know, but, like, if they wanted more than that six billion number, like, he'd have yeah. to, like... Have well, yeah, but to Colin's point, I mean, no, he would just use his duplicator thing and train it on a different species, like he tried to do with the Time Lords. So then he'll turn his face onto every animal and insect. Potentially. That, that would look interesting. <laughs> Time Lords also have been known to duplicate themselves by cloning. So it's very mm. likely, or, or that they are grown in certain ways, but they don't, it, it doesn't seem like they have children in the traditional sense. Although we did see the master as a child in a pretty traditional Gallif sense. Well, Gallifreyans, before they are Time Lords, do that. But Time Lords themselves, like from what I understand, do not. Yes. They, before they are Time Lords, they are children. Yeah, well, you gotta start off somewhere, right? 
We so all do. The clones don't. You know what's amazing is that Gallifrey is huge compared to Earth, and like it seems like a lot. Most of it's completely uninhabitable because they've only got like five cities or something. Well, actually, there are quite a few people that are Gallifreyans that live out in the wastelands, as we know, as we in, know in from classic the era. wastelands. You hear yourself just say that. <laughs> well, the wastelands, or the or the outside. Well, okay, there's, there's yeah, other but, but the, there's outsiders. Yeah, but, outsiders. but it, was, it was pretty terrible conditions. And they're not the greatest. I mean, there are places where you can grow things. I guess there are trees. I guess. Oh, but goodness, seeing Gallifrey next to the Earth and just its immense size makes me think like. Gosh, the, the doctor and the master must be jacked. Just, you know, like, what, what can they lift and bench press just after being on that planet? Although just because it's larger doesn't mean it has more mass. I mean, not necessarily, but a planet that's like that, from what I've known and seen about Gallifrey, it certainly would seem like it would. Yeah. And maybe it has some other extravagant moons and other things close to it pulling on it like in other Jupiter. conditions. Like I don't Jupiter. know. <laughs> Um, scientifically, uh, if you put a planet that's much bigger next to Earth, obviously that would not be good for Earth at all. But one of the explanations that a lot of people have come up with was that the that Gallifrey hadn't actually fully materialized materialized yeah. in that in that. Uh, not all of its there. mass made it through. Exactly, it didn't quite all get there yet. So that's why it didn't affect Earth as badly as it could have. I like that. I think that's very charitable, very fair. Mm-hmm. I agree. It's also a very small part of the whole story. So. You know what else was a small part of the whole story, but that really stands out to me every time as being yeah. vaguely irritating? Is like that reference that Rassilon makes where he's like, oh yeah, we're gonna, you know, make statues in the honor of these two people who voted against me, the Weeping Angels. And I'm like, what? what? Did they just reference the origin of the Weeping Angels and just kind of brush you by that? Or was that... Like, what was that? <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, do they know about these? I thought this was kind of like a new thing that the doctor discovered and some other... I figured I would just miss uh, something. It's, well, the doctor talked like he had heard of them before. It suggested that, that Weeping Angels are Time Lords because of this episode, and they're not. it's not that fully ex- explained. That would explain their powers, to send people back in time. Yeah. Absolutely. But then why are they rocks? Come on, 14th Doctor, let's find out. <laughs> it's because they get stuck in their forms, just like the TARDIS got stuck as a, like a police box. <laughs> okay, so something went janky, I get it. So we all turn it, So they all turn into Maybe. TARDISes then. Yeah, it could so be like become a, kind of like gargoyles. I mean, like, if I had the power to turn into everything else, you know, if I needed to, I might try to be a gargoyle. Shapeshifter. I would love to be a shapeshifter, personally. I would turn into a bird and just fly away. I'm a bird and fly away. Maybe actually a dragon and then kill all of humanity. Oh, wow. Oh, I love the dragon idea. I might go against the killing all of humanity, <laughs> personally. <laughs> I like to think of myself as a humanitarian, and when I'm honest with myself, I feel like killing all of humanity is against some of my fundamental beliefs. Being a Star Wars fan, I will admit that I absolutely love Wilf being in the asteroid shooter thing that, that takes down the missiles. I love Wilf being in any scene in anything ever. <laughs> I loved Wolf when he was like, but 
but we're in space. I, I have to look. <laughs> like, Doctor, I'm not going to try and stop you, but is this the end? Are we all doing a suicide bombing right now? <laughs> I'm totally down to do a bit of a suicide bombing, but I just... I just need to know for bad. I'd like to know. And he was down, so. too. He was yeah. like, this is what happens, and this is what happens. Yeah. Like, he's like the star companion. Although... Yeah, he's ride or die, stick a laser gun out the window. <laughs> although although we, can't, we can't ignore the elephant in the room any longer. I'm bringing it up. Of course, there's that moment where the doctor's like, oh, my God, I'm going to live. All of this worrying was for nothing. And then we find out. That is just horrible. You can see his facial expression just, like, sink. And he was just like, I'm screwed. I got happy too fast. And Yeah, and it's just sort of like, wow, so the doctor was, you know, being taunted by time. All this time by meeting Wilfred constantly. Wilfred was the one that was his end. Yeah. So, like, the first part when they were like, why you? Yeah. Well, that's kind of haunting. Yeah. Another sad thing for the Tenth Doctor is, and, and this is kind of why he would say, I don't want to go, is that it's quite obvious based on his interpretation of his age, he's not around for very long. I mean, he starts off at, what, 902 and goes to 906. That's only four years? That's a baby. It's a blip. He, he is he is uh, compared to all the other doctors he's the small, youngest or the the, one, the least shortest lived. seen yeah the shortest lived but look at what he accomplished during this yeah time. he accomplished more than a lot of doctors that lived, lived a, a lot full longer. four years well actually I don't know it might have actually just been three years I think it was 903 when he changed no it would have been 902 because he was 901 in his ninth doctor form and he only and the ninth doctor only had one year so technically. So, yeah. So, so technically, it could have been the ninth Doctor that had the shortest time then. Exactly. Well, yeah, more than likely. So would that mean that he had even more faces in between all these Doctors, or what? Because um, does, does he mention his name every single time he's a Doctor, or what? Well, except for the War Doctor, we he does mean, he is the Doctor, as far as we know. And as far as we know, obviously, this is the... T- the tenth incarnation based on numbers, but the eleventh incarnation based on lives. Uh, well, twelve. Twelfth, actually. Right. Yeah, now we're on twelfth. I mean, if you want to, his... if we want to take a backwards-looking view into this episode too, from some things that we know now, I mean, there's a lot open for interpretation. Definitely, there were doctors. I think even before this, going to classic who, there may be indications of other doctors that we might not be accounted for. Another big thing that happens in this episode that's another elephant in the room is that the Doctor literally leaves a flying up-in-the-air spaceship, crashes down through a ceiling, lands on marble flooring, and it's unlike the, his... The ceiling is made of glass. And unlike his fourth incarnation yeah. who falls to his death, this guy gets up again. <laughs> I mean, they, uh, thankfully we're reminded of that, you know, gravity disparity between Earth and Gallifrey in this episode, because that's the most charitable explanation that I can give. The Doctor's more or less superpower re- resistant to some massive forces because he grew up on some massive force planet. It's but, also uh, it's also possible that the spaceship really hadn't gone up that far, and it was literally right above the house still. So. But they were oh, moving crazy. so fast, and they crashed, and we saw how far that was. I mean, mm-hmm. any human would be killed many times over. And, and, and he didn't, like... Quarter the distance. Also, he didn't need dead. to make that jump. 
And then he could stand he up, really have didn't. a coherent He was in his emotions. That's what that was. Like I would the, think regeneration yeah. would start there, not after you get hit with a massive dose of radiation. I, mean, I think what was going on in his mind was that he needed to get there then and there. Like, he needed to be there, like, right So his instant. adrenaline was... <laughs> Was causing him to. Yeah, he was in his emotions. Him. I mean, at least we did see him struggle lifting the gun at first, so it was really yeah. pain. And then we saw him struggle in a philo- uh, philosophical matter, you know? Yeah. Should he kill the master? Should he kill uh, yeah, the time lord? Yeah, it probably rattled his brain that far. And the master was like, You're not going to kill me. But then he was also, like, kind of concerned. But then, I don't know. I loved that moment. That was probably my favorite moment between the master and the doctor because you could low key tell that they love each other. I know, right? That's what I've been saying. <laughs> I mean, they were best friends. Yeah, and then. And best enemies. And of course, there, there's that best moment friend where. Enemies, best frenemies. Frenemies to lovers. There's that moment. Maybe where? not, but. Yeah, there's there's the moment where, like, the doctor actually is just like, the get out time. of the way. Mm-hmm. And the master realizes, oh. He's actually not going to kill me. <laughs> yeah. And then the master's like, get out of the way. And we had, didn't see anything from the master after that. So now it's up in the air. Did he die? Is he just lying there? What happened to the master? Well, he disappeared with the rest yeah, of the time he, Yeah, I think he went back to Gallifrey with the time lords. Oh, snap. I didn't see that part. I was doing my nails. Well, that's your fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, now I know. But of course, somehow he gets back out of there because obviously he shows up again later. Right. Yeah. Leaving us all Gallifreyed for the future. A lot of things saving up that one. Oh, you know, just three seconds. You know, so. Well, then of course we have a great um, doctor running through his um, his other brain. companions and collecting his you know rewards, so to speak, where he you know he saves. Mickey and Martha, who are now together apparently and married, and uh, I don't like. you know, I don't like that either. Elizabeth Sladen's final story and episode for all of Doctor Who was this one. So when he rescues not. her son, yep, exactly. So this was kind of her swan song to this program. Now she was also in the Sarah Jane Adventures, and she does get to meet the eleventh Doctor. So, so she, this was like a big time, like goodbye. This was a huge goodbye. Every pretty much everybody except for Captain Jack, you don't see again. It's hard. I mean, that's hard. And it was kind of yeah, cute how like the Doctor kind of like hooked him up with that guy. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Like here's his name. It's yeah, also kind of cool that he ends. Wingman, you know? Yeah, it was nice that he gave Donna a winning lottery ticket because we hear the doctor do this like several times where he's just like, "Oh, the, I needed a job in this school." It's like, "Oh, that teacher mysteriously won the lottery," and you know he takes a place. It's like he never does that for his companions, and finally yeah. he does. And, and I think a companion tried to do that for himself once, and he was quickly <laughs> booted off. <laughs> yeah. Artist, so. It was just sweet to see him kind of just reflect on his all the, the life that he had known for all that time. And it was also great for us because we got to say goodbye to everyone. But it was also incredibly heartbreaking. A lot of a lot of people compare it to the end of uh, The Lord of the Rings Return of the King, which has like 15 endings because this one has 15 endings for everybody. But – and – it it does draw drag out a little bit, but I mean, while I think it also builds up to his regeneration, which is what they were going for. It and did I, give me chills though when that Ood was like telling him, like, "This is our goodbye song to you." Yeah, that was In a the big snow swan song again. of this episode. You know, yeah. the song to the doctor from all the Ood. You know, going out. Throughout the universe. And the, the music that, the, that they the use universe. there. He said the universe will sing you to sleep. Basically. Heartbreaking. By the heartbreaking. way, heartbreaking. And heart comforting too. The vocal kind of. 
<laughs> the vocalist for that piece of music is actually a male. Um, yeah. A male um, soprano, I guess you call him. There's another word for it. Treble, I think. Tenor? No, not a tenor. There, it, it's basically a male that sings a in his falsetto. super soprano. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But yeah, no, Valle uh, Dechim is the title of the piece, which ends the Tenth Doctor, which is, I think, probably the most powerful of all regeneration pieces. I think it was beautiful that he was actually sung out by the Ood out of all of them, because I don't know of any other Doctor Regeneration setting that involves like a serenade. Well, don't this Doctor was the one that actually freed the Ood, so it makes sense. Well, that makes sense, yeah. But the fact that they <laughs> brought that idea back into that whole regeneration was really well thought out. Absolutely. And again, he's in the snow when he says his last goodbye and goes into the TARDIS to regenerate. Yeah, he gets to say goodbye to Rose even before he meets her. Kind of comes all round circle here. You're going to have a great year. I, I was so hoping he would say it's going to be fantastic, but oh well. Yeah, and, and I know typically there's always a, a Christmas episode. and in, in more recent times, you know, it's become a New Year's um, episode. Was this her first New Year's episode? Yes. Yeah, this was, a, this was definitely a New Year's episode. So that actually makes David Tennant go to 2010 was his final year, even though it was like January 1st. And we have Matt Smith's entrance into this. Geronimo! Yeah, they gave him his uh, signature line right away. Am I a girl? <laughs> he needs to be gender at some point. <laughs> That's what and we're hoping. Maybe just get our chance. And get a decently Maybe you could river. be the next doctor. Oh, I'll, I'll put my hat in the ring. Colin does have a red beard. If that's the qualifications they're looking for, man. <laughs> I think you also have to be British. You'd be, you'd be a really funny doctor. I could be British. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Uh, no. <laughs> Is that Scottish? Yeah, that's Let's, okay, too. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> just just as long as you're from that little island. I do have that heritage. I think you've blood. got to have a real accent, though. The fake ones don't count. Oh, that was, that's real, Michael. That wasn't. He's fake. <laughs> <Just> quite literally. <laughs> I try. I try my best. Uh, okay, I can see. But anyway, yeah, I think um, th it, there's just so many things that come out of this. Oh, and I think it's really, it says a lot when basically you have this Thanos-like moment where the um, where Rassilon just puts his hand down and everybody on Earth turns back to... Yeah, he has this, like, infinity gauntlet. I mean, was that explained adequately? That's the... It's basically, like, the yeah, hand of Rassilon or the, the, the glove that he holds that, that kind of helps control. It's basically... I think it draws its power from the Eye of Harmony on Gallifrey. So he's able to reverse time for, and put time forward and, and kind oh, of do yeah. things like that. So what he was Prince doing... Persia. So he was actually probably just... All he probably did was just reversed everything using that machine. He probably was just manipulating the machine that, that the master had used. Can I bring up a point? Yeah. Yes. So when it was... Thank you. Thank you. Out. So of course. Yeah, thank you. So when it was discovered that the Time Lords are coming back, Wilfred was like, yay, Time Lords, they are people... And the fact that there was, like, such a chill that went down the doctor's spine and it convinced him to get the gun. Like, sometimes I forget this was, like, the classic era's first introduction to the Time Lords. So, like, me knowing prior to this that the Time Lords suck, like, I could only imagine watching this for the first time being like, oh, yay, the Time Lords are coming back. And then seeing the doctor do something I never thought he'd do, which is grab a gun, I was like, what's about yeah. to happen? Like, what are they actually all about? The Dr. Gunslinger. 
Also, very right before that scene, we have another appearance of Mystery Woman who showed up, I guess, in real life or whatever next to Rassilon later. But, like, they still didn't explain who she was. And I still feel like, as a character, she didn't need to be in either of these episodes. Was it explained, like, the lady with the tattoos who seemed to have, you know, premonitions? No, I think that's just, like, the... Oracle of Gallifrey yeah. or whatever. Yeah, this Gallifrey one, just has oracles and they just, some of them do these things. Yeah. I think it's heavily hinted that this woman is actually the doctor's mother. That's what I was thinking. I thought they were going to say that that's my mom. I think it is because he looks at her and he, and you can see David Tennant's face just kind of melt as soon as he sees her. Yeah, that's why I and, thought it was his mom, but they didn't say that. So and and I think it's that a lot was... Of said. Well, from what I understand, Russell T. Davies kind of had that in mind, but he wanted to leave it kind of a mystery that could be explored later on if need be, because obviously there's Gallifrey could easily return at some point. She, in the future. Was, she was looking at him with that motherly gaze, like, yep. what are you about to do, son? And she was like crying too, like, you, you better make the right decision here. Motherly for sure. Well, she was also one of the very few Time Lords that actually went against having Gallifrey come back, which suggests that obviously she might know the Doctor quite well. So I think I think that I think it kind of makes sense that she would be a motherly figure. Yeah, totally, but they it still didn't like it's not gonna be any positive figure, you know. It, it it didn't really impact the plot very much. It was kind of thrown in there and the fact that it also wasn't explained was sort of Yeah, it was unnecessary. Yeah. Well it like he he did seem like he was about to kill someone, but I think um, seeing that woman for him like made him like rethink everything and was like maybe I shouldn't kill someone because of my past and whatever. Yeah, but then it wasn't explained. Maybe it was going <laughs> it was more just connected to Wilfred. Possibly. I think she, I think, yeah, I, I think she only talks to Wilfred because he's his end, so. Yeah, I mean, she came with the Time Lords. I mean, in her defense, I would talk to Wilfred if I had the opportunity. <laughs> also, are we not going to talk about, like, what the Doctor Selts told to Wilfred when, when he realized that he was going to die? Like, when he was basically saying stuff like, you don't matter. Like, why me? Like, I could do yeah. so much more. Like, that was hurtful. It was, but, you know, it's less so because, really, he was just venting before he actually saved him, so it was kind of like, I mean, if he really believed that, he wouldn't have saved him. Yeah, no, I get it, but imagine being, like, in that position, like, imagine being told, you don't matter, after I did all this to help and support you and the world. Yeah, and this is another recurrence of David Tennant's doctor doctor just switching on everyone's important versus, you know, no one's important. And, you know, well, maybe some inconsistencies lie there. What a beautiful range, and I think we see it in this episode, too. David Tennant, you know, and, you know, all of his, you know, somber, you know, soft-loving moments and him being, you know, having some darkness, um, you know, the humor, I think you, we really see a lot of sides of David Tennant wrapped up in this episode as the Doctor, and his incarnation of it is wrapped up as well. Well, I think it's time for ratings. Well, speaking of wrapping up, <laughs> I guess I'll, I'll lasso this, this question back to me, and I will take up the mantle of rating first. Um, okay, so 
this was a pretty epic episode. I mean, I was right here with it last week. I know we were all a little off on the same page. We were not on the same page. I rated, you know, higher than everybody else, but here we have a lot still going on. I mean, we brought in a, you know, a whole planet of masters and we even started this episode with the Time Lords coming in and back to the story. They have a plausible entrance to come back into um, all of the world, even come back next to Earth, potentially take out the Earth um, as they're coming in here. So we're talking about grand scales. I, I think we have, you know, good philosophical, you know, questioning of the Doctor and insight into his background and his mind. And again, you know, a great range, you know, played by Tennant here. Um, we see, you know, a, a big you know, um, insight into the master's history. And there's a lot of sympathy for the devil in some sense here, because we get to see his origin story and how the Time Lords really used him and potentially made him go crazy um, and had this, you know, distraught, traumatic experiences to become a, a true villain through their hands and trying to escape the Time War. Um, so there's a, a grand scale here, and then we see cameos from Captain Jack. We see it from Rose. Um, you know, we see it from Sarah Jane Smith. Um, there's a lot going on here, and I was I was glued to it. And my man Wilfred, of, of course, taking the center stage as well. We have our first, um, you know, New Year's episode, and we have our first appearance of Matt Smith coming in as well. There's too much happening. It's an awesome episode, and I thought it was a great setup before this. I think they slammed it through. Granted, they had, you know, some parlor tricks to stitch it all together and to make it work, but by golly, I think it works, and I think it is enough to make it thrilling, even if you can have some honest and true criticisms to this episode. Like last week, I'm staying consistent. This gets its 9 out of 10. All right, I'd like to go next. All right. I, yeah, I, so I thought this episode was excellent. There were definitely some problems. I still stand by with the fact that I don't think that the doctor's maybe mom or whatever needed to be in either of these episodes. I, the doctor's maybe mom. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the, the him crashing through the ceiling was a little bit like, what? Um, and also, Martha and Mickey getting together. I mean, so Martha had already been engaged to someone and everything was great. And this just kind of felt like, oh, there's two companions who got, you know, rejected on the TARDIS and they're both black. Maybe we should just make them get married. See, so, yeah, like, it, I don't know. It just seemed a little bit weird and forced and, like, thrown in there. Um, but I thought that, you know, a lot of, like, I thought the fact that they had a cameo and the Doctor saved them was great. I thought, you know, all of the little throwbacks to the different companions were great. Wilfred was, again, phenomenal. Um... I thought that, you know, just, yeah, the emotional range in here, the how much, you know, we learned about the Time Lords, Gallifrey, the Master, the Doctor, and um, everything was great. I loved the Doctor's whole freak-out speech to Wilfred before he, you know, rescues him. It was so dark and powerful. And um, I'm going to also give this one a 9 out of 10. Okay, I'll go... I'll go next. So my previous rating for the first part of this, what was it like a five that I gave it or something like that? Yeah. So honestly, the beginning of this, ep honestly, I think this episode is really good. I feel like, how do I explain this? 
Yeah, still not too happy about the first part, but I think the second part was decently good. The beginning was kind of slow, but it kept you on the edge of your feet. Um, I don't feel right giving this a Shelby and Colin 9 out of 10, only because there was a lot of elements that were like, eh, but the ending, like, I believe saved so much of this, and it gave David Tennant so much justice. Like, he's known for his range in his entire, like, run as the Doctor, and they just kind of put all of that in this one episode and just gave him the most respectful goodbye, and I thought that was absolutely beautiful. And that in itself is probably why I'll give this... You know what? I'll give it an 8. I said I wasn't going to give it a 9 out of 10, but I'll give it an 8. I thought it was very well done. It was well, a great way to say You know what, Colin? I'll <laughs> give it an 8. <laughs> <laughs> Fair Should I go next, I guess? Sure. Okay. Well, it's hard to put into words, because, you know, but... Um, Basically, I, I'm pretty sure every time I rewatch this, I will always get chills because of literally all the different powerful scenes in this. Um, but yeah, definitely, and and, and also um, some Doctor X master moments. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. I, I I really enjoyed it. it. It clearly left me speechless, but um, I do know my rating at least. 11 out of 10. Whoa! That's the highest That's rating off the anyone scales. has given it. You need to leave the universe and go to another dimension in the TARDIS. <laughs> Pocket in universe. <laughs> okay, Not so to I mention think. that the 11th Doctor comes in on this one. Oh, that was clever, Carl. You probably Wait, didn't plan that, but I'll give you that credit. I, I did not plan that. Your subconscious did. We know it. <laughs> totally. Okay, so he loves it. Yes, I, I definitely enjoyed it. It was... Oh, I, I love the music, the, the different music pieces, and... Um. Yeah, the, the the expression on the doctor's face when he was explaining the stuff that happened with the time lords to the master, and then the master like reacting to that, and then he's like, "Okay, I I take back everything I said. I like can't take me with you, please." Like he turns into like some sort of slave or whatever, but. Um, it just, yeah, I just have nothing else to say, basically. It's not true. He's just an opportunist. <laughs> and he was like, that's the best opportunity now. Yeah. Yeah. With Journey's End, we had an episode that was, um, kind of a quick, uh, ending and kind of a cheap kind of way to wrap up the episode with just one button push. In this case you've got a lot more things to wrap up. And I think Russell T. Davies did wrap things up rather beautifully. I'm not saying that it was perfect, um, but I think that out of, out of the emotional impact that this would have on anyone, I would rate this easily a 10 out of 10. Um, in terms of plot and, and everything else, there are some silly moments. There are some moments with the aliens and the alien spacecraft that were just like, oh, whatever. Um, I do love the interaction between Wilf 
and the doctor when Wilfred's trying to give the gun to the doctor. I think Bernard Cribbins, who plays Wilfred, and David Tennant both act that scene out extremely admirably. Um, it's kind of hard to uh, not like that. Um, I also want to give a shout-out to um, Alonzo coming back, because um, I don't think we mentioned him quite um, yet, but um, <laughs> and that was a, that was a great scene. Yeah, it was very like brief, Star Wars right? cantina, like very Star Wars. There's yeah, like the Adipose, you have the Slovene, you got a you got a lot. You got Slovene. some, you got some half and some Jadoon in there. Yeah, yeah is the half those well, like fi- fish bone yeah. creatures. Well, yeah. they, it may not have been a Slovene. It may have been the Raxaco. Raxacorcofalvatorians. There you yes, go. Yes, that's what I meant. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to I stereotype all. Raxa, what's her foot? Nessers, <laughs> <laughs> as you know, all obviously no Shelby's. In this home. Obviously, Shelby's the only oh, one. Oh, speaking that can of racism, me. what about your cactus comment you made last week? Listen. <laughs> <laughs> also, that reminds me. Like, you made a point saying, "Oh, these two characters are black. Let's throw them together because you know they're just like abandoned companions of the Doctor." But something I didn't realize until you said that comment was a lot of the like white companions always get paired with like a black partner. I've never noticed that before. Well, Martha was with a white partner for a while. Well, opposite opposite partner, yeah. which I think is pretty cool because it's sci-fi and we're progressive. Yeah, and if you're not, you're pairing them with a ginger. Michael, have you actually rated yet? No, I haven't. Sorry, we got you. We got you. We love you. Kisses. Any rate, uh, so but yeah, with this story, I'm gonna have to give it a good solid nine out of ten as well. I. I mean, I think most of that is based on the emotional impact Definitely. that you build up to uh, towards the end. Um, acting, music, everything across the board was well done as well. Oh, yeah. You cried during this episode. Me. <laughs> Who had to hold your hand? Me. No, no tears left my eyes, hand. but my tear ducts were quite swell. <laughs> oh, the first time I saw this, I definitely cried. <laughs> and am I just heartless? Probably. Yeah. Am I Michael. You know, heartlessness is you let go. You let go of my hand too. Not not everyone expresses themselves in the same way. Yeah, yeah. I do cry, but I do like get quiet and hide in a corner. But but it's okay. You know, everything's all right. We can let zygons be zygons in this situation. (laughs) All right. Well, good night, everyone. Good night. Goodbye. Goodbye. Good night. Happy New Year. 